Today on Locked On Dolphins, it is our post-July 4th Miami Dolphins fan mailbag. All of the things that are on your mind here today on Locked On Dolphins. You are Locked On Dolphins, your daily Miami Dolphins podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. All right, Miami, welcome to another episode of Locked On Dolphins. It's your team every day here on the Locked On Network. I'm your host, Kyle Krabs, lifelong Miami Dolphins fan, host of Locked On Dolphins, co-host of the Locked On NFL Scouting Podcast with Joe Marino. You can find our shows on the Locked On Network on YouTube or wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. And I want to give a special shout out to our everydayers who do keep it locked in with us here on a daily basis because it is your team every day today on the show it's mailbag time it's all the things that you guys want to talk about all of the things that are front of mind for you are the things that we're going to explore throughout the course of today's episode of the show so with that out of the way i'm gonna get out of the way and we're gonna go right to the mailbag um the first salvo of questions do come from our uh, locked on dolphin subtext community which you can uh, text 305-419-3924, text Dolphins to 305-419-3924 to sign up for the subtext community. It's a chance to talk directly with me, uh, get some behind-the-scenes resources that we use here for the show, uh, get some inside information if we have it, have some film studies. There's a whole bunch of really fun stuff that we do with it. Get the first two weeks free. If you choose that it's not for you, cancel. No big deal. But if you like it, it's a couple bucks a month. So first salvo of questions do come from the subtext community for Locked On Dolphins. And the first one came from a 305 number that was dedicated to asking why the proportions of run after catch for the Dolphins offense last year versus the air yards for Tua Tungvaloa, there was such a stark difference where Tua was one of the highest air yards uh, per pass attempt relative to any other quarterback in the NFL and in over the past couple of seasons. As a matter of fact, he was the highest air yards for qualifying quarterbacks last season per attempt. But of qualifying passers, he had the lowest percentage of his air yards coming or of his passing yardage coming from yards after catch and asking, why did that disconnect exist? And I think some of it comes to uh, timing within this offense. This is a very, uh, very detail-oriented offense. There's a lot of small route adjustments relative to the leverage of defensive backs. There's timing components where you, your foot has to hit the back and the ball has to come out. And I thought you saw through the final post-buy, I thought you saw that yak start to kick alive again after you had some really nice plays in the New England game. You had some nice plays in the Baltimore game early on. Um, I thought the big play to Tyreek Hill and obviously the big play to Trent Sherfield in the San Francisco game, the big play down the sideline to Tyreek Hill against the Chargers. Those were very herky-jerky offensive efforts, but nevertheless, you had those big run-after-catch explosive plays, and then you get into the Buffalo game. And you see the Jalen Waddle long catch and run for a touchdown. You go uh, to the Packers game, you see another Jalen Waddle long catch and run for a touchdown. I thought it started to come alive again, and then Tua got hurt. So that for me is Tua plays a couple games, 
misses some time. You have to build it back up in the three, four weeks going into the buy. And then coming out of the buy, you start to show that growth again. I think as long as you don't have these interruptions and everybody's growing together within the offense, especially with it being year two of the offense, I do have an expectation that there is going to be more yards after catch. The balance and the tightrope is you may have some of the, you may have a lesser frequency of big shot plays down the field. And I'm okay with that if it means you're going to have your quarterback on the field for you the entire time. The next question, and I, I got a couple different questions in regards to uh, Tyreek Hill and his situation. Um, 760 number with this question. Um, if Tyreek Hill, if and when Tyreek Hill gets some sort of suspension, do you feel like we still have enough firepower on offense to win a playoff game? Yes, particularly if you sign Dalvin Cook, but I would say my expectation for a disciplined timeline for Tyreek Hill uh, is probably more in line with 2024 at this stage, just because it is early summertime. There is an evaluation process. Now they may, the, the league may say, Hey, there's not enough conclusively here to, to hand down any level of punishment, regardless of whether you're a repeat offender or not. And I'm willing to let that due process play out before I have any firm reactions to the situation uh, going back to last month with Tyreek Hill at a marina and, and a marina employee uh, that there was an, an alleged slap on the back of the head. Um, if something did manifest this season, I would be surprised. Uh, but that said, if Tyreek Hill were to miss, and I would not expect relative to the... Um, nature of the allegations. I don't, I don't think this is a six game suspension. Uh, I, I think any discipline handed down by the league would be a game or two games, three games, a, a shorter stretch. And if the league was not going to hand that down before the start of the season, my expectation would then be, it becomes a 2024 issue and storyline that we have to see play out whenever that due process is complete. So that's, that's where I'm at with the Tyreek stuff. And I got a couple questions about Tyreek and where, where we're at with that. Um, I try to let let's, I try to collect all the information before I take hard line stances. And those, these are the kinds of things that it's tough because it is news. Uh, but at the same time, you want to let due process, um, play itself out. 403 number pertaining to Dalvin cook. If Dalvin cook signs with the dolphins, when would it likely be? I can't see it being any time in the next few weeks. Um, I I would like to think Dalvin would like to be at a camp for the start of camp. So for Miami's purposes, I would say it would be within the next three weeks. Now, if he's willing to run this thing out into the start of training camp in hopes of a team having a running back go down and get desperate, then... Um, Oh, that, that's a decision for him and his camp to make as far as what they think is best. I would think there is some benefit of Dalvin Cook going to a new team to be committed by the time the team that you're planning on signing with reports a training camp. So I actually, I do think it will be within the next three weeks or so. Personally, that that's just kind of, I don't, I don't have any intel there. That's just uh, me trying to apply uh, what I would want as a player who's looking to contribute meaningfully and be a guy 
on a Super Bowl contending team. I would want to go through that entire process and be there for that entire process. Uh, 954 number with our next question. What tight end besides Smythe do you think will get the most playing time? Ooh. So I don't think it'll be Elijah Higgins, uh, just because there's a wide receiver convert there. I think he's a little bit more of a um, role-specific type of player. I think he'll play a lot of teams, I think, as a blocker. Um, He's a little bit more of a separated-from-the-formation type player. Uh, Tanner Connor is probably behind the eight ball as well, just because you do have to uh, continue to grow in, in your ability to put your hand in the dirt. So I would say it's Eric Saubert uh, would be my guess, just based off of his skill set. I do think there is some untapped potential uh, there with him as a player to be a all-around tight end. Uh, I, I think Durham Smythe is certainly a jack of all trades, even if it is not a master of any. He is a versatile player, uh, and I think that Eric Saubert probably gives you the next best version of that on your tight end room, personally. Uh, we're going to continue with the mailbag questions here, and we got a bunch more, but before we do, uh, now is the perfect time for us to talk to you about our friends over at FanDuel. Take your first swing at some of this baseball action, courtesy of FanDuel, and get 10 times up to your, the amount of your first bet back in bonus bets up to $200 with FanDuel. That's right. You bet 20 bucks and you can get $200 back in bonus bets, win or lose. How's that for peace of mind when you sign up for FanDuel? Uh, it's $200 that you can put on Anything and everything from the money line to the game over under to who you think is going to hit the first home run. Uh, all that in an app that is safe, secure, super easy to use. And best of all, when you win with FanDuel, you get paid out instantly. So sign up today at FanDuel.com slash locked on to get up to $200 in bonus bets back. That's FanDuel.com slash locked on. FanDuel, the official partner of Major League Baseball. Continuing on with the mailbag. Our next question comes from a 815 number. After watching the Mount Rushmore episodes, which we did the last two days, they were very fun, got me thinking, what would have happened to the Dolphins? Why? <laughs> Why do you ask this question? What would have happened to the Dolphins if Nick Saban stayed as the head coach and picked Drew Brees over Drew Cope, or over Dante Culpepper? The history of the NFL and the NCAA would be vastly different. Yeah, this is one of the all-time Dolphins what-ifs, right? Drew Brees wanted to come here. Obviously, the Chargers picked Phillip Rivers, so there was a transition there. The Dolphins were interested in two quarterbacks. Depending on who you ask... They will tell you different stories as far as whose decision it was to go with Dante Culpepper over Drew Brees. And obviously there was a medical question with Drew Brees' throwing shoulder. If Nick Staben coming into year two in the NFL after the momentum that that team had in which they won their last six football games to finish nine and seven, had... Drew Brees 
that team, I mean, the domino effect falls everywhere from the Tony Sperano 2008 and the first overall pick with Jake Long. Uh, you don't have the Teddy Ginn experience. You don't have Cam Cameron. Like the Dolphins probably have three less head coaches. Uh, that's not to say Nick Saban would still be here or that Nick Saban would have had a dynasty. I do think Nick Saban and his style of coaching, and obviously you've heard the stories uh, from training camp and with his time with the Dolphins, his style of coaching is probably better predicated towards college football. The Dolphins would have a few less losing seasons for sure. And Drew Brees would be comfortably amongst the top three in all-time history in every major passing statistic for the Miami Dolphins. Now, it is what it is. <laughs> Not that it makes it any better, uh, but I, I do find myself every once in a while wondering that same hypothetical. Next question, with Fangio installing his defense, what do you think realistically this unit can produce in terms of points allowed, sacks slash pressures, turnovers, and overall ranking? Is there any component of the defense that you think might regress from last year? No, I don't. Um, we did a study on this on the show. It was a few, probably a few months at this point. might have been March, March or April. But it looked at Vic Fangio in year one of his new team versus what the team performed as defensively uh, when he arrived, prior to when he arrived. And what you found was Vic Fangio in year one is on average across his last six stops good for a four, three and a half to four point improvement in points scored defensively. And he's good for about 40 yards per game in yards in uh, per game defensively improvement on both sides of the football. So you think about the Dolphins and uh, what they performed at last year. I'm going to go ahead and pull it up. So I make sure I get the. Um, make sure I get the numbers exactly right. So I'll go to pro football reference defensive stats. Uh, let's see points per game points allowed. The Dolphins last season in points allowed were 24th. If you take three, let, let's go conservative, right? I love going conservative on this show and go three and a half, the lower end of the improvement across 17 games. That's 60 points less. The Dolphins at 60 points would have allowed 339 points last season, and that would have been sixth in the NFL in scoring defense. It's not bad, right? Uh, from a yards perspective, the Dolphins defensively were 18th with 57-43, 5.3 yards per play. So if you said, let's again go conservative and do 30 yards per game times 17 games, that's 510 points minus 57-43. I love doing math live on the show. That's 5,233 yards. That would be good for fifth in the NFL in score or in yards, total yards last season. So Vic Fangio's improvement, average improvement per the last five or six stops, when applied to the Dolphins' 2022 defensive numbers, puts them as a top six defense in both yards and points allowed. If that doesn't get the juices flowing, I don't know what will as it pertains to the uh, emergence of Vic Fangio here. 
a comment from a 301 number, and it is pertaining to that um, Dolphins Mount Rushmore. And his observation was, FYI, in my opinion, A.J. Dewey would have been, could have been the best Dolphins linebacker ever had he not torn up his knee in that Jets playoff game. It's part of the reason why the 49ers blew us out in the Super Bowl. That said, and I'm a huge Zach Thomas fan going to the Hall of Fame inductions. Try to watch some of his tape if you can and haven't done so. Uh, okay. Consider that a challenge accepted. I'll see how much Dolphins defensive 80s tape I can find for A.J. Dewey. But uh, obviously, I've, I've seen the highlights. And obviously, the, that championship game was <laughs> a trip. So I uh, appreciate the feedback. And I got a lot of great feedback in regards to the, the Rushmores. And a couple of people are like, oh, yeah, you're, you're still just a pup. Yeah, guilty as charged. Uh, not, not that I'm a total pup, but uh, born in 89. So I missed all the fun of the Super Bowls uh, that the Dolphins have played in. But um, looking forward to the next wave of, of that level of Dolphin success so I can go along for the ride. 863 number with our next submission. Uh, happy 4th. I know I'm kicking a dead horse here. Thought for sure would be saying bye to Emmanuel Ogba and Cedric Wilson this offseason. I understand the depth, but not the value. Cap hit versus contribution. I feel like Chris Greer has done good at not Mike Tannenbaum-ing us, which makes me question them being here even more. Do you see a realistic avenue where they're both gone before the start of the season? Chris. Um, no, and, and I agree with you that the cost, the, the value, is probably not going to be good value for the Dolphins based off what we know. Now, I'm sympathetic to both roster moves because you signed Cedric Wilson before Tyreek Hill became available, and you extended Emmanuel Agba prior to trading for Bradley Chubb and before Jalen Phillips made the leap that he made in year two. So I understand where, you know, if from a market perspective, those were competitive markets. Case in point, I would rather have Cedric Wilson at this stage in his career than Devontae Parker, and the Patriots extended Devontae Parker last week for $11 million per season. It's the wide receiver market because the top of it with Tyreek Hill is at $30 million. If you're a middle class or a lower middle class player at the position, but you can start and you can contribute on offense, especially if you go into it in free agency, you're not really going to find a lot of plus values unless you get uh, guys who have something to prove, guys who are coming off of an injury, guys who are a little bit older who want to take a one-year deal. That's where value really falls in free agency. Now, Emmanuel Agba, they retained without letting hit the market. And um, again, I, I, I think for Miami, getting that deal done, but having the exit avenues was was well structured contracts even if the value was maybe not ideal but it's not it's no longer about the value it's about what is the player worth more for is the player in Cedric Wilson and Emmanuel Agba worth more to your team than they would be whatever assets you can get back for the cap savings so is Having the insurance policy of Cedric Wilson at the expense of $6 million, which is what you could potentially save, more valuable than a future conditional seventh round pick. 
I would say yes, the, the depth of the wide receiver room is more valuable. Emmanuel Agba is your third defensive end. Is that level of that level of quality and depth worth more to you than like what would what could you get for Emmanuel Agba right now coming off of an injury season last year without a lot of good tape from last season, even after or even before he got hurt? I think maybe the the Agba market could potentially be different if he played all season and he played similar to a level in which he did last season, but he did not. So I think that undercuts your ability to get anything of tangible value. So you're like you're talking a future fifth round pick for a team in a win now window. I would rather just have the depth. It's the same reason why we're talking about one of the Connor Williams, Robert Hunt, Christian Wilkins, Zach Sealer. I don't think you're going to retain all four of those players, right? But for me. Anything that I do, I would want to do to bid farewell to a player after this upcoming season. You always have the franchise tag at your disposal to tag and trade if you needed to. And I realistically think you could probably tag and trade any one of those four players if you had to. I don't want to tag and trade any of them, but I also don't want to let them walk out the door for nothing. And I don't want to trade them now because I don't care about a second or third round pick for Zach Sealer next year when I'm trying to win now. And he's my second best interior defensive lineman. So I think it trickles all the way down the roster where yes, you're, you, you have investments that maybe haven't aged well or gracefully or are not good values at this stage in the game. But at the same time, um, what you get back has to be worth parting with the player, not just cap space because you can, create cap space in an abundance of ways in my mind. There's more questions coming up here on locked on dolphins. So stick with us. Okay. You guys brought the heat this week. I will, I will say that I have another eight, six, four. I want to give you a shout out. I see your question, but it is in regards to Tyreek Hill. Um, I touched on Tyreek a little bit. 914 number Chris from White Plains, New York. Love to hear your views on the Dolphins' special team situations. A lot of us probably expected Danny Crossman to be replaced, but he's back after a really disappointing 2022. Do you think they are planning to improve? Is this a personnel issue, a coaching issue, something else, or both? Good question. Here's my theory on Danny Crossman. A lot of the players who were supposed to be your special teams players ended up playing offense or defense last year. Keon Crossan was signed explicitly based off his background to be a special teams player. He was a starting corner for a stretch of the season. Justin Bethel came in and the Dolphins played a game in which they had like three active corners and Bethel was one of them. Uh, you think about Trill Williams and what he potentially brings to the table. He missed the entire season with an injury. You think about Seathan Carter. He got injured in the opening game against the New England Patriots and missed the entire season. I think you can go through a pretty expansive list of players for Miami that were supposed to be your core teams guys who either missed the season altogether or ultimately... Uh, were forced into playing a much more prominent role on the team. And that has a trickle down effect that waters all the way down to spots 40, 41, 42, 43, 44, 45 on the active game day roster. 
So that's my theory as far as how and why Miami underperformed and then came to the judgment that they did with Danny Crossman. It's a great question. Uh, obviously, we're hopeful for a much more improved unit this year. Um, I, I think there are some personnel changes that are for the better. Uh, acknowledge uh, you, you lose a guy like Trent Sherfield. Trent Sherfield ended up playing like 600 snaps. Um, you bid farewell to a guy like Clayton Fejdelum, who I think you will get better returns from other players who could step into that role. I do have high expectations that Channing Tindall is going to be a core teams guy this year. Uh, and, and that athleticism and explosiveness and hitting power, I, I think is a good way to get him on the field beyond hoping to continue to see him evolve as a defensive player. 954 number with our next question. If you traded any player on the roster tomorrow, who would give you the biggest return for draft capital? My guess is Waddle or Phillips because of their contracts. Okay. My immediate reaction is that Jalen Waddle is going to give you the best capital back because he has two years of a rookie deal, even though it's a top, oh, it's, it's a top six pick. So from a cap perspective, it's not cheap. It's cheap relative to what Jalen Waddle is, but it's not a cheap contract. Let me, please regard me. I gotta, I gotta pull this up. I gotta make sure I get the cap numbers right. So I'm gonna pull up the, speaking of the subtext, this is a resource that the Locked On Dolphins subtext has, and it's the year-over-year cap. So Jalen Waddle, the next two seasons, has a three, 7.3, $387 million cap hit this year, an $8.618 million cap hit next year, and then obviously the player player fifth-year option uh, for his rookie contract. Jalen Phillips, who was in the 18th overall pick in the draft as compared to the 6th overall pick in the draft in the same draft, has a 3.8 cap hit and a 4.4 cap hit plus a fifth-year option. And the fifth-year option is, is totally performance-based. Uh, right now, both of those guys are level two out of the four possible tiers. There's uh, base tier, fifth-year option. There's tier two, which is playing time qualifiers. They've, they've both hit those playing time thresholds. Tier three is one Pro Bowl across your first three seasons. So I don't think either one of them is in a position to get tier four, but you could get tier three because they have to make the fifth-year option decision after this upcoming season. So when you put it that way, Jalen Phillips is on the books the next two years for effectively one year of Jalen Waddle. That, that might flip you. This is a, this is a really fun question. Uh, Javon Holland, the next two seasons, is on the books for a combined $5 million in cap. Uh, but there is no fifth-year option there because he he was not a first-round pick. I I think it's Jalen Phillips. I really believe it's Jalen Phillips. Now, you could also say, well, Tyree Kill, uh, the Dolphins took a, a large part of that guaranteed money, gave a big signing bonus. Um, any team that acquires Tyree Kill would have hypothetically four years of control and are paying him reasonable dollars. So I think Tyreek Hill is kind of a sleeper here just because the guarantees that are paid out through the first two years of the contract, Miami's already on the hook for. 
now, all future guarantees um, the future team would be responsible for, but it's much more easily digestible when you consider the cash that he's owed uh, moving forward beyond the lump sums at the beginning of the contract. So I'd say your short list is, is Tyreek Hill, Jalen Waddle, and Jalen Phillips are probably your three best assets that would give you uh, the most return for. But anybody who's listening from a, another front office, don't call us. We're not interested. <laughs> Just a fun question. Let's see. We have 501 number with a Reuben Foster question. Given that Reuben Foster is rumored to have an invite to camp to shore up the linebacker core, are there any other USFL players the Dolphins should consider? Uh, I don't think this roster is well positioned to take on a lot of, I don't call minor league, but like spring league type players. Now, Reuben Foster, obviously first round pedigree. I obviously saw his agent said something that kind of drummed up and spiked some interest. I know there's a couple of Dolphins fans who have been pounding the table for Reuben Foster for seemingly a few years now. Um, I think Foster is a rare intersection of talent, former talent, uh, with int- with one of a few roster weaknesses for Miami that actually would would make me somewhat compelled to, to roll the dice there and, and see what you got. That, my friends, is going to do it for us here on this episode of Locked on Dolphins. It is your team every day. I hope you guys enjoyed the show, the mailbag. As I said, you guys brought the heat. So shout out to our listeners. Shout out to our everydayer. Shout out to our subtexters. If you want to be an everydayer, you can find us on YouTube or wherever you listen to your favorite podcast. I hope you have a great rest of your Wednesday. I will be back again tomorrow for a little bit more Miami Dolphins talk. I hope to see you there. Fins up and peace.